0: This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
1: It is uh, Monday, November 28th. And thanks for joining us here on Real Talk. Jesperson and Hicks with you uh, after a, a week away from the show uh, attending to some uh, family business some family time it's great to be back with yeah. you all it's nice to see your face again pal nice to
2: see you as well we got the uh, holiday uh,
1: yeah we got a bit of a holiday motif
2: going on today i the like studio, it which yeah. is good
1: you know yeah. it's it time to make the switch over well the weather and, uh, outside uh, is we weather
2: yeah it's, today <laughs> it's blowing
1: it's gnarly outside of the the forecast not to start with small talk about the weather but sometimes it's Seriously. relevant i was talking to my parents uh, yesterday, my mom says, uh, have you checked the forecast? And when somebody says that, there's only there's one of two options. It's either going to be beautiful mm. or it's going to be gnarly. <laughs> and uh, it's looking like a gnarly week ahead. We're going to be dropping down in our hometown of Edmonton down to minus 30 about Ooh. a week from now. And it just, it just sort of sticks around there, which is making me wonder why I didn't. This is always later guy getting screwed over by right now guy. Uh, this is the procrastinator's lament. Uh, why didn't I put up Holiday decor at home. Why didn't I put up Christmas lights when it was a balmy three degrees?
2: <laughs> now you got to get up there. <laughs>
1: now the expectation is uh, minus 26 with wind yeah. chill to minus 35 that I'm going to be up there stapling Christmas lights up onto the, mm-hmm. yeah, up onto the, the, uh, soffit and, yeah, well, whatever, I, see, I have nobody, uh, uh, to blame but myself.
2: A national lampoon scene happening for <laughs> yeah, you this, that's this week. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> right,
1: exactly. Did you watch the World Cup yesterday? Did you watch Canada-Croatia?
2: Uh, no, I didn't watch that. I watched the first game, though, yeah. Yeah. I was doing some Christmassy stuff yesterday with the, uh, with my partner, but, uh just sad yeah,
1: it's sad disappointing around, right yeah. it was it was uh exciting obviously for for canada to qualify i think it was was 1986 was the mm-hmm. last time that the canadian men competed for the world cup uh, yet to uh, secure a world cup win they were 0 and three in 86 they're 0 and two this time around they have one more game but they're officially eliminated uh from contention everybody talking yesterday about alfonso davies scoring a goal early in the <laughs> match but <laughs> but then yeah,
2: I heard, you, I heard you knew we had to get but, to this uh,
1: because this this was like it's just one of those kind of mind-boggling shaking your head kind of moments uh, James Duffy who's like obviously a, a a notable national broadcaster who's had a great career of course. Uh, this isn't me piling on Duffy but this is just one of those moments I've had them myself where as a broadcaster you say something and right away you go oh shit oopsies and so uh, you know Duffy's sitting there with uh, Janine Becky on the on the panel and they're they're talking about the goal they're an, or they're analyzing the The game, the match. And uh, he describes Alfonso Davies' goal as the greatest moment in Canadian soccer history. The only problem is that you've got a Canadian gold medalist. She's sitting there right there right on the side panel. Of. She's sitting there right on the panel <laughs> and uh, unbelievable. So as you can see here, and I love this, everybody was, I saw yesterday, I was watching the match and I'm watching on Twitter and James Duthie starts to trend <laughs> and uh, and not for the good reasons. People start tweeting their own screen grabs of, uh, of her face and look at that, the side eye. Yeah, look at the happy. stink eye uh, and you don't blame her. And, no. then he, and then he sort of tried to backtrack it. I think maybe, you, you know, you can sometimes sense when you've said something. Uh, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if like you're with your friends, if you're around the family dinner table. Maybe mm-hmm. you're in a work situation. You say something and right away you want to take it back. And he kind of starts going, well, like it's right up there. Like it's, it's like right <laughs> up. It's like one of the. And everyone's <laughs> going,
2: man, come on. Wish you had a time machine at yeah, that moment.
1: No kidding. So oh. Charles Adler will be joining us in about a half hour and I want to ask him about this. In particular, uh, John Herdman, the Canadian coach, you saw his comment after the Canadians lost to the Belgians 1-0, which mm-hmm. was, you know, I mean, for the most part, pretty competitive match, right? Like I you mean, know, the
2: start of it, I was like, wow. Yeah, here we go. This is, wow, Canada just really leading the positive energy, leading the aggression, and then it just kind of died, died off. just
1: kind of didn't yeah. happen. And so Canadian coach John Herdman says that basically we're going to F Croatia, and, uh, and and he said, you know, we'll we'll say whatever on real time. He actually said F. He didn't he didn't drop the bomb, but he says we're going to F Croatia. Well, the Croatians did not like that. No. And I think a lot of commentators two sports commentators, not just Canadian ones, were wondering about maybe the uh, the logic of calling out a country like Croatia like that.
2: Why fuel their fire? Why would you do that? I don't. Why would you give them the
1: bulletin board material? I don't know. You know, we're not Brazil. We're not. Uh, Brazil. We're not, we're not, we're not like Holland. We're not one of the. We're not France. No. We're not one of these countries that you know. Argentina, maybe the Argentinians are having a good run here. So I'm not going to start pretending like I know what I'm talking about with <laughs> soccer, with football. Uh, but I want to, I want to ask Adler about that because I actually thought that was pretty funny in the Croatian <laughs> newspapers as well. We're having a heyday with it with their photoshopping of the Canadian manager. So uh, we'll get into that with Chuck. Plus, I want to ask him as he joins us every Monday. You know that. I saw some people uh, everybody's paying attention to what's happening in China right now these these uh, pretty remarkable anti-lockdown protests, these demonstrations and some people here in Canada as these stories run parallel with the wrap up to the the uh, you know the public inquiry into uh, the Trudeau government invoking the Emergencies Act, a lot of people are saying, well, well, how is this any different? How is what's going on in China any different than what's going on in Canada or what happened in Canada with the Freedom Convoy? So we'll get into that with uh, Charles Adler coming up a little bit later on in the show. First, we're going to talk to uh, federal tourism minister. He's also the associate minister of finance. Uh, the Honorable Randy Boissonneau, is going to be joining us, and, and there's a ton I want to talk about with him. Uh, during the week that we were away from the show, obviously a horrific shooting uh, at a nightclub at Club Q down in Colorado in the United States targeting the LGBTQ2S plus community. Some of the comments and some of the things that we've learned about the shooter, about his family, about his upbringing, about his motivation, obviously extremely troubling. Uh, Minister Boisno has served as the Prime Minister's special advisor on LGBTQ2S plus issues. And I'm, I'm eager to ask him for his thoughts on this. It's a difficult subject matter we obviously uh, know that and and we can't help but ignore the fact that with the World Cup happening in Qatar as well uh, you know members of the LGBTQ community and allies all around the world are wondering what the hell the World Cup is doing in Qatar uh, considering how the gay and lesbian queer community is treated in that country so there's lots to talk about today we've got lots to catch up on as well Um, but of course we want to remind you that these conversations happen because of sponsors and 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 I mean a lot of times partners Right, these are people that we're really proud to do business with. A lot of times, these family-owned businesses. We want to introduce you to one today. Uh, this is the team that built this magnificent studio that we're so proud to be broadcasting from, and, and we're thrilled to introduce you to our friends at Complete Care
2: Restoration. Right, Johnny? I mean, these guys. Look at this place, this and this is, is absolutely like, incredible. This
1: was. This is the result of a ton of planning and replanning and, and not tweaking. only that
2: they did it in crunch time
1: in record time a week we had we a couple of things running, yeah so. we had a couple of things pop up with you know i mean we won't get too into the weeds but like with our cabinets mm-hmm. and we had some we had some goals that we wanted to accomplish with regards to the design of it their team was unbelievable to work with now what they typically do they don't do a lot of like office renovations they don't do a lot of builds like this studio They're a full-service disaster restoration contractor. Now, you may never think that you're going to encounter a nightmare, like like a fire or a flood, but if you do, did you know that you have the right to ask your insurance company, nay, to tell your insurance company who you want to work with? We recommend wholeheartedly that you ask for Complete Care Restoration. You can find them online at CompleteCareRestoration.ca or give them a call today at 780-454-0776. You talk to Kelly and the team at Complete Care. They're hilarious. They'll, They'll say, we hope you never have to call us. But if you experience a disaster, call us first. And we give them the thumbs up based on the amazing work that they did here with our studio. That's Complete Care Restoration. A shout out to our friends at the uh, Dairy Queen on Baseline Road in Sherwood Park. They were celebrating yesterday 25 years in that community. Now, you know what they did with this, Johnny? They they, they 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 set up a promo. The first 100 customers that purchased a 10-inch Oreo Blizzard cake received free Blizzards for a year. What? Well, they sold out these 100 Blizzard cakes in a half hour. So Michael and his team whipped up another hundred oh and my. sold those out. I mean, people were pedal to the metal on the Blizzard Cakes at the Dairy Queen at Baseline Road in Sherwood Park yesterday. Congratulations from us to them on 25 years. A really remarkable legacy. Of course, we're also proud to partner with the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton. That's Palisades, Nemayo, Newcastle, and Westmount. A big shout out when you pass through those drive-thrus, when you see them at the counter, you let them know you're there because you heard about them on Real Talk to Minister Randy Boisno in in just a second. Uh, First, we wanted to tee this up. Many of you, of course, we know that this is a savvy and informed audience. You were paying attention, no doubt, uh, to the public inquiry, looking into the federal government invoking the Emergencies Act. Uh, Coming up on a year ago, the protest, of course, the occupation that locked down the nation's capital in Ottawa. The prime minister uh, with Testimony that stretched several hours, depending on who you talked to. He either justified the use or did not. Here's a portion of what the prime minister had to say.
3: Future governments um, are likely to look at this experience and say, Yeah, no, it's not really not something we want to go through uh, lightly. Uh, But the law is on the books to assist in dealing with national emergencies. And the determination was made by the governor and council, by the professional public service, that the thresholds were met and that this was necessary. And regardless of any setting of precedence, um, I think it would be the worst thing for me to say, Uh, Even though the thresholds have been met, even though it is needed and necessary, uh, we're not going to do it because someone uh, might abuse it or overuse it in the years to come. When there's a national emergency and serious threats of violence to Canadians, and you have a tool that you should use, how would I explain it to the family of a police officer who was killed or a, uh, a grandmother who got run over stopping trying to stop a truck or, uh, or a, a protester who was killed uh, if I hadn't used the tools?
1: The Honorable Randy Wastner is Alberta's representative in the federal cabinet, first elected to the House of Commons in 2015, re-elected in 2021 as the MP for Edmonton Centre. He's currently serving as the Canadian Minister of Tourism, Associate Minister of Finance. It's nice to see you on the show. Thanks for making time for us today.
4: Thanks, Ryan. And the studio looks great. Happy to see you doing so well and uh, great to be with you today.
1: Thank you. I look forward to welcoming you here in person. Uh, You're checking in from Ottawa this morning. Do I understand correctly?
4: I am. I flew in last night from Edmonton, stayed over in Toronto, got the first flight out this morning. But I was on doors this weekend, Ryan, and I was at the very important Halotemore um, Memorial event in uh, City Hall uh, with a number of elected officials on Saturday. So. Every day in Edmonton is a better day and I, I spend as many of them back home as I can.
1: I uh, we'll get into the public inquiry but you mentioned okay. this this Lottimore, uh memorial this this event that you attended and, and obviously mm-hmm. probably more I mean it's it's obviously an uh, a very significant Ukrainian population in in the province of Alberta and in particular uh in the Metro Edmonton region and and did you perceive or did you pick up on the fact that this is maybe even more significant or more front of mind for people right now, considering the war in Ukraine, Russia's aggression against Ukraine?
4: So this was my sixth Hello to More uh, event in Edmonton. And I can tell you that uh, the tone, the tenor, uh, the emotions, and the seriousness of the event were made all uh, the more real by Russia's uh, illegal uh, and immoral attack on the sovereign uh, nation, Ukraine. And the comments were about the Hello to More And they were about the fact that we've just got to get Russia out of Ukraine and we talked about the role of the federal government in that the fact that um, Christian Freeland and our government worked with central banks around the world to free 650 billion dollars U.S. of Vladimir Putin's money and that we have invested over three and a half billion dollars into Ukraine to keep the economy going but also to provide lethal and non-lethal aid and Ryan I can tell you we're up to over 110,000 Ukrainian refugees settled down across Canada. And if you take a look at the Canadian diaspora, it's overwhelmingly Western and overwhelmingly in Alberta. Mm -hmm. In my own riding of Edmonton Center, 10 percent of the population is Ukrainian. Uh, 11 percent is Polish uh, still in 2022. And so this matters to Edmontonians and it matters to Albertans and it matters to Canadians. Uh,
1: What what did people tell you uh, with regards to, you know, the. Their perception of the effectiveness of the position that Canada's taken, and their expectations now and moving
4: forward. Well, look, the uh, what I get from our Ukrainian uh, friends is that they know we're leaning in, they hear our voice, and when I'm at international meetings, Ryan, the first thing that I do is call out Russia's uh, illegal invasion of Ukraine and, and demand that Russia leaves. I mean, I'm all for peace, but once Russia leaves, and the sooner they leave, the better it will be for Ukraine, but all, the whole world. I mean, there was. Um, a reporter from who grew up in Edmonton, he's now in Odessa, uh, and he now um, speaks for CNN and CBC and BBC. And he made a case that the pain and suffering we're seeing around the world has its origins in Vladimir Putin's aggression in Ukraine, whether it's food prices, whether it's energy prices. And he laid out the case very well. And Ryan, we're not going to stop until Russia gets out of Ukraine. Full we'll stop.
1: Let's talk about this public inquiry wrapped up uh, probably sure. the well, I think it's safe to say the highest profile uh, individual speaking there was was the prime minister. We, we also heard from convoy organizer Pat King. There was I don't know how you would describe the performance of of, of the lawyer representing convoy organizers. There's a lot of talking points. There's a lot of storylines. Uh, but essentially, this all came down to, to whether or not the federal government will will probably I, I mean, how people's votes will be impacted, whether or not the federal government could earn another mandate based on their performance here, whether or not people may lose confidence if they perceive that there was not justification uh, to invoke that emergencies act. And obviously you're going to be here speaking in support of the federal government, but, but what were the key takeaways for you uh, after a few weeks of that public inquiry?
4: I think if we step back, look, I had brunch on the weekend with my, my mom and and partner, David, and the the, the conversation came up and, And I think the question is why this inquiry in the first place. And I think it's important for listeners to know that it's baked right into the legislation. And I think the Mulroney government took a really important step when they put this legislation forward, that if a future government was going to use this uh, measure that they should then be accountable to the public. And that, that sets a high bar right for those of us responsible for saying we want to use the emergency measures. And we took that into account and we took the national security uh, threats to the country very seriously. Ryan, my phone was ringing off the hook uh, day and night about people not feeling safe. You know what we saw at the the border at Coots in our own province. And as Associate Minister of Finance, I can tell you the damage to the economy uh, as Minister Freeland put it was not just, you know, day to day cumulative, it was getting worse and that exponential effect to our country, but also our international reputation and the ability to conclude a, a deal on electric vehicles and quite frankly to be positioned now to be getting into deals with the united states on critical minerals all of that was at risk when it seemed like we weren't able to actually deal with lawlessness lawlessness and unrest in our own in our own streets
1: there were there were some interesting um revelations uh, with regards to the official opposition the conservative party of canada and, and mm-hmm. the, the correspondence that then interim leader uh, Candace Bergen had with the prime minister uh, the, the conversation seemed amicable she seemed cooperative and then of course uh, correspondence was released uh, her comments to her own MPs and to others within that power structure talking about how they need to lay this at the feet of Trudeau obviously the politicking that happens in Ottawa all parties are politicking but but I thought it was some interesting insight to see what some are describing as hypocrisy on behalf of the conservatives uh, Pierre Poliev the now leader of the conservatives as if I need to tell you was, was blatantly. Uh, and brazenly supportive of this convoy. How is that playing in Ottawa right now? And how do you expect that to inform some of the dialogue and some of the campaigning that happens moving here on forward?
4: Well, I think Canadians are going to be the judge of whether they think the current Conservative leader should have been handing out donuts and shaking hands and uh, handing out Tim's to people who wanted to overthrow the government. I mean, that's what we had. And look, I, I lived through this. I couldn't even stay in the downtown hotels that I stay in because it wasn't safe enough for MPs to be in the downtown core. Uh, you know, our staff would couldn't get to work. Everybody had to go on hybrid people who were downtown. And so the Conservatives are going to have to answer to Canadians at the time of the next election as to why their current leader decided it was a good idea to go uh, and hug convoy protesters. And I think that is going to be a, a conversation for those of us uh, when we're campaigning, Ryan, I go back to the fundamental reason that the Canadian, that Canada was set up. It was set up, and there's lines in the in the in the British North America Act: peace, order, and good government, right? And and the fact that that is how we are set up as a country. There was something deeply offensive that a group of people who thought they were oppressed by vaccine mandates and mask mandates could come to Ottawa and overthrow the government. And if you are the government in waiting as the opposition, and you think those are the people that you're going to be able to sit down and have a conversation with? Well, the reality is, is we saw what happened when the police tried to have a conversation with the leaders. It didn't work. And so we had to do something that would get the streets cleaned up, that would restore order. And that's why we put in the Emergency Measures Act. The politics of it will play out in the next federal election.
1: Uh, there, there's there been some interesting comparisons I've, I've actually had a bunch of people tagging me on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. Im- implying for some reason I think that we're going to be afraid to, to stack up or compare these two scenarios I'm more than happy to and I, I want to talk to Charles Adler uh, coming up after you uh, minister about these, sure. these demonstrations these protests in China the anti-lockdown protests for the first time in decades thousands of people and I mean anybody that's watching the news is seeing this happen have defied Chinese authorities mm-hmm. uh, protesting at universities and filling the streets of major cities demanding to be freed from what they're describing as incessant covid tests and lockdowns this is uh, Xi's, uh no uh, zero covid mm-hmm. approach yep. uh people are saying well, well how is this any different they're saying look at this the, the western world the you know the, the democratic the free world is celebrating what's happening in china yet they condemned the freedom convoy they condemned the ottawa occupation how is this any different what would you say to somebody that asked you to compare the two
4: well, I think we have to start and compare the the fundamental principles of the two countries. One's a communist dictatorship, and the other is a Western liberal democracy. That's Canada. Uh, we have free and uh, fair elections, and people are able to express themselves. I mean, Ryan, look at my own state. Twenty fifteen, I won. Twenty nineteen, I lost. Twenty twenty one, I won. You know, that's the way that our democratic system works. And if the party that gets the most amount of seats gets to form a government. In this case, we've got a minority government. We've got a supply agreement with the New Democrats. Lawful protest is protected under the Charter, but unlawful protest and sedition is not. And that's what this uh, convoy protest, this lawlessness in the streets of Ottawa, and you saw what happened at the at the Cootes border with the uh, discovery of the weapons cache. I mean, there were people that wanted to create serious harm. They wanted our entire government to be replaced. They wanted to create their own government and basically have the you know the governor general sloughed off. So when we have citizens that try to overthrow the government and repeatedly the government, not just the government, but the police asked the protesters to leave and they said, we're not going anywhere. That's when it goes from being a, a lawful protest to an unlawful protest. So what people in China are protesting is unlike anything we saw here, which is literally people being locked in their homes not able to get out, Ryan, for four to six months or four to six weeks or longer at a time. In the deepest, darkest depths of the pandemic, Canadians were not shut in their homes. We were encouraged people to stay safe at their homes, but people could go shopping, they could go out, they could do what they needed to do to provide for themselves. People in China haven't been able to do that. And I can tell you from a geopolitical perspective, China's zero COVID policy is also contributing directly to the global inflation that we're feeling. So two totally different scenarios. Um, and uh, I'd be interested to see what you and Charles get into later.
1: Yeah, well, I never know what me and Charles are going to get into. So, yeah, it will be an interesting <laughs> conversation for sure. Um, I mentioned uh, before we officially welcomed you to the show that you have served. Sure. Um, are you I don't even know this. Are you still are you still the prime
4: minister's special advisor
1: on LGBTQ2S plus issues?
4: It's a great question. So look, one of the things I said when I was getting ready for the 2019 elections, whatever happened to me, the LGBTQ2 secretariat needed to be housed somewhere inside government. Mm. And the government took that on. And for two years, the secretariat was housed over in Canadian heritage. And now, and then, so the minister of Canadian heritage uh, was, uh, there was a minister of diversity and inclusion. That was Minister bartosz Chagger. She was responsible. Now the secretariat is in women and gender equality. So my colleague, the Honorable Marcy Ian, is responsible for the $100 million uh, LGBTQI plus action plan that we have put in place. And that was also something, Ryan we started when I was special advisor and now look what we've got. We've got three cabinet ministers all openly uh, gay. We've got a parliamentary secretary, Rob Oliphant, uh, who's our parliamentary secretary to Minister elite. And look, my role as part of the interparliamentary pride caucus here in uh, Ottawa is to work with my colleagues in other parties and in the Senate because it's Senator Cormier and my colleague Blake Desjardins in the New Democrats who co-chair this thing that we take the politics out of, of being LGBTQ2 because it's too important. And when we see shootings at Colorado Springs, when we see devastating shootings at Pulse, when we see, you know, uh the negative actors on social media focusing on trying to, you know, uh change people who are just you know coming out, that's gotta stop. And so there's lots of work we can do, and now it's a whole of government approach. There's a lot has changed since I was special advisor, and it's changed for the good, at least in terms of how the government Deals with and coordinates these issues.
1: The uh, that shooting in Colorado, um, <laughs> it's uh, I don't really know what to say about it. It's it's what it's one of those things where it's just it's just this horrific and tragic and discouraging and infuriating reminder uh, that there are still, uh, despite the progress we feel that we make as a society, <laughs> just despite the developments that we see, whether it's in politics or whether it's among. Uh, the mainstream, the general population. Uh, I, can, I can think of, of, of developments I've even seen in, in your and my home city. People outside of Edmonton may not be familiar with Pride Corner. Uh, yeah. But, there, but there, there's been groups of people that have, that have turned out on, on street corners to, to essentially drown out the noise of, of uh, homophobic street preachers, quite frankly. Um, and we see these positive developments, and yet then uh, a mass shooting. At a, at, a, at a gay club uh, targeting members of the community. Um, how, how do you, uh, a, a, as an out and proud gay man, uh, how do you wrap your mind around something like that? Uh, what do you talk about in the privacy of, of your own home? What do, you, what do you say to your friends? Um, how are you feeling uh, several days removed from this?
4: So I shared with my cabinet colleagues and caucus colleagues that when something like this happens, we have to reach out to the people who are part of the community in our own areas because there's something deeply personal and and private and it's it's a violation when an armed government comes in to what is a safe sanctuary. If you think about what is a what is a what is a a gay club or a lesbian club, it's a place where people who probably can't yet be out in their own lives, they go to to be safe and to connect with people and just to be themselves for a couple of hours on a weekend. And then that happens and a, and a gunman comes in and starts shooting up the place and shooting their friends and it's a heinous attack on, on people's fundamental identity and who they are as citizens and human beings. And Ryan, we've got to take a look at home. It's not Colorado Springs. It's the government of Alberta that passed a law that when a kid joins a GSA, the teachers have to out them to their parents. The whole point of becoming part of a gay-straight alliance at school is so that you can create that safe space. Nobody calls your parents when you join the chess club or the soccer club or when you join the basketball team or when you join, uh, you know, another club. But when you join a GSA in Alberta, it's the law that the teachers have to call your parents. So and I can tell you Pride Corner is under attack. They don't feel safe enough to go and and, and be them their wonderful selves anymore. There have been too many attacks on them. And so we've got a responsibility as civil society and people that listen to your show to say, hey, I don't care who you love or who you sleep with. Like, what we don't want is violence perpetrated on other people. Like, hate speech in this country has no place. And you can think what you want to think. But if you articulate it, and it harms you or it harms me, then they've gone too far. And so we're going to have to figure out what we do um, as a a country. But also, we just got to educate people that people are people. And um, I can tell you, we're not there yet, the federal government where we've taken the politics out of, you know, LGBTQ issues, but we're working on it every day. And and people have a choice, and that's why voting in elections matter. If you want progressive people in office, then vote for progressive people. And if you want uh, to make sure that um, you know people of other parties um, support LGBTQ2 people, then go ask them, and ask them what's in their platform. Ask the Conservative Party, ask the UCP Party, what's in their platform and what are they going to do for LGBTQ2 people? And do the same with the federal conservatives and see what your answer is. Uh,
1: as mentioned, you're Alberta's representative in the federal cabinet. Don't have to tell you that Alberta's got a new premier. Um, Indeed. She, and she's putting her stamp on uh, the government. And uh, mm-hmm. this ahead of an election that we expect in May of, of next year. Yep. She's prepared to go to war with the federal government. I mean, uh, you know, this, this Sovereignty Act, people are waiting to see details on that. And there's a lot of saber rattling going on. How are you reconciling this and how are you wrapping your mind around it, considering the interesting dynamic at play with your political career?
4: Sure. So, look, Ryan, day one, since I was an MP, and certainly day one since I became a minister, my job has been to work hand in glove with the uh, government of Alberta to make sure that we're delivering for Albertans. I can tell you, on the weekend in Prince Charles, it was very clear when I was talking with presidents that they elect us at the federal level, they elect councillors, they elect MLAs, and the message, very clear message from the doors, Ryan, is they want us to work together to make their lives better. And since we've been in in government, I can tell you working with the um government of Alberta has delivered great things for Albertans. And I will tell you that the Sovereignty Act, I'm deeply concerned by the Sovereignty Act. It's a it's a broadside attack on Canadian unity and and this idea of somehow cherry picking laws that apply to Alberta, it doesn't apply, it doesn't work. And Ryan, you're you're younger than me by 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 a by considerable amount. But I remember growing up. And having the Lougheed government, you know, taking swipes at the federal government, is like the oldest playbook in the world, but it was always done to make the Federation a better place. And it's completely legit to air grievances and to want to get a better deal for the province, but not at the expense of Canadian unity. And Ryan, Alberta is going to lead the country in economic growth for the next two, maybe three years. So why the heck would you want to get in the way of that train?
1: Mm. Uh, I just quickly Wikipedia'd you, and uh, it, ter- <laughs> it, ter- it, it turns out I'm only seven years younger than you. So not, I don't know. I'm not that much fair younger enough, than you, enough. Minister.
5: Uh, you l- kept let me your ask- hair. I didn't. <laughs>
1: yeah, just barely. Uh, let, let me ask you this in closing. You, you talk, and I know you you got to go, and, and we're kind of running you into overtime here. If you have a couple more minutes. Yeah, it was just under a month ago. Um, you know, Christian Freeland, obviously the Deputy PM Minister of Finance. Yeah. You're the Associate Minister of Finance released mm-hmm. the fall economic statement. There's a whole bunch in there to unpack I mean eliminating interest on student loans there's some some tax credits for green jobs sustainable jobs there's some stuff in there for truckers there's stuff in there for crypto um everybody right now is is wondering how with regards to their own family's bottom line with regards to their own purse strings with regards to their own money coming in and out every month with utilities and gas and everything else inflation and mortgage rates it makes me stressed out to even list it off like this how they're going to manage um, what's your message to people, not just in Edmonton, not just in Alberta, but across the country, with regards to a couple of the highlights in that fall economic statement and, and what you believe is going to make the most tangible impact uh, on Canadians that are really feeling the pinch right now?
4: So, three things. We made sure that we paid down a good chunk of the deficit. And that means we have the lowest deficit in the G7, Ryan. Why do we do that? So that whatever the world throws at us coming next, we're going to be ready for it as a country. You're right. We're making some big investments in the economy so that it can grow. That's why the hydrogen tax credits, the green tax credits, the fact that we're investing in things like air products coming right into Alberta and into Edmonton, the largest net zero hydrogen plant in the world being built right in Northeast Edmonton. Those are the kind of investments we want to make. And then when it comes to affordability, we're going to focus Ryan on those people who need the help the most when they need it the most and I can tell you this student forgiving the student loan interest is a big deal, doubling the GST credit. I've had Brad and Mike, two different people in my riding, ask me when they can get their $500 top up for their housing because they need the money. And then the other thing that I think is a big deal is the ability to uh, have a first time home buyer savings account. That is going to help uh, Albertans, Canadians, Edmontonians save thousands of dollars to get their first home. It's about being compassionate and responsible that's the frame and that's what we're we're trying hard every day to do
1: that's minister randy Boissano, a federal minister of tourism associate minister of finance and of course the mp for uh, my home riding. as a matter of fact of edmonton center thanks for making time for us i appreciate it all the best ryan look forward to coming back again very soon you got it minister you can let us know what you think uh, about what you just heard their talk at ryan jesperson.com uh, that's that's one perspective obviously on behalf of the government uh, the federal cabinet and uh, I'm sure that some of you will have different ideas And we welcome those Talk at ryanjesperson.com Our email uh, account uh, 24-7 John, we're looking for the next winner Of the Real Talk email of the month Get that uh, mug We're coming up, yeah Coming up on the end that of uh, November And we've got a couple pulled A couple options pulled for email of the month uh, But you've still got time to, to get yours in there And to earn that free official Real Talk studio <laughs> issue mug uh, Charles Adler coming up in just a few moments Moments. Another thing that, that happened. I mean, it feels like sometimes when when we take you know a few days away from the show, family business or otherwise, mm-hmm. there's always big things that happen. Yeah, and we're chomping at the bit to get back and talk about them. And one of them uh, in our home province of Alberta, a televised address from Alberta Premier Danielle Smith uh, a week ago tomorrow. Uh, she revealed her government's plans to provide, uh, whether describing is uh, financial relief. Uh, For the ongoing inflation and affordability crisis, the government will provide a a $600 payment over the next six months uh, for each child under 18 and families with lower incomes Uh, The threshold for that child benefit is the family that earns less than $180,000 per year. I know some people kind of choked on their coffee uh, with regards to that number. She said that there will also be be payments made to to seniors, to people who receive benefits from AISH, uh, persons with developmental disabilities. uh, Said that the province will also not charge its gasoline tax for the next six months. It's going to increase the rebate amount that Alberta households and small businesses receive on electricity bills uh, to an amount totaling an additional $200 per household. Now, the New Democrats, the official opposition, says we're not buying it. Rachel Notley says we're not buying it neither should you. Says that her party will permanently reverse uh, the UCP's cuts to the child and family benefit, seniors benefit, income support, and AISH says we'll go further as well, uh, taking actions on things you don't have a choice about paying for, like groceries, utilities, insurance, gas, tuition, and housing. So the politicians are warring here to convince you Uh, an Alberta voter, that their plan is the best plan to help you deal with the affordability crisis. And I saw a lot of the scuttlebutt, a lot of the back and forth, a lot of the public conversation following Premier Smith's televised address, uh, the criticism in particular, that she's trying to buy your vote. She's trying to buy your vote. And other people are just saying, well, to be honest with you, when it comes to real life, uh, this is something that helps us out. Uh, This $600 is going to help us out. It's going to help us pay our bills. It's going to help us cover the difference. And they would hope to see more of that from politicians like Scott Moe in Saskatchewan. You remember that? The Moe Money, which I thought was the greatest nickname for... Moe
3: Money, Moe Mo,
1: Money. Mo money, no problem. Moe Money, no problems. But but the Moe Money, of course, probably the most famous one in, in Western Canada, the most notable one because of, of how long ago it was and because everybody that sure. was in Alberta at the time remembers what they spent their $400 on. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people say, I spent it on booze and cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> wow. some, some people say, I spent it on, like, Pablum for my child or yeah. formula for my kid or I think I paid my electricity bill with it. People have different memories there.
2: Yeah, this is an old routine. The, the Ralph Bucks. But does and, it turn yeah, you Does oh, it yeah. turn you
1: off? Uh, like, just to be honest, does it's, it turn you off when a politician does this with, with, a, with a surplus or even, you know, digs into it, digs into the coffers a little bit to do it or is that something where you go, hey, listen, uh, times are tighter right now for the average family. I can appreciate
2: it. Yeah, and I do appreciate that and I think if it was a different time, I might be a little more... Uh, this is kind of crappy, but because of what's going on i think I think some people could use a few bucks right into their pocket. but normally, I would say take that money and invest it where it needs to be invested in uh programs and other things to help people. But I don't know. I think a lot of people right now are struggling, and they could use two, three, four hundred six hundred a hundred dollars people. could help a family right now. After everything we've been through with COVID, and mm-hmm. I mean, this Christmas is, it's going to be a tight Christmas for yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, it will
1: be. Yeah. That's also uh, kind of okay sometimes, a reminder uh, to families. We have the conversation even within our own household. Let's let's, let's not try to go nuts on Christmas spending this yeah. year. Let's try to rein it in. Let's set a budget. Let's mm-hmm. make sure that we stick to the budget. There's always the one person that doesn't stick to the budget, <laughs> And it's typically me. And it's me too. Carrie gets pissed off at me because she does stick yeah. to the budget, and then she's like, "What the hell?"
2: My partner too. Jace was like, "Please, this year, you know, just <laughs> get us things for our health. Get us, you know, some some uh, yeah. some yoga memberships sure. or something." And I'm always the guy who like stuffs the stocking till it's overflowing for her with stuff she needs. And did you ever read
1: the Little House on the Prairie books when you were like ten years old? Of course. You remember like there in in the uh, what was it? Laura Ingalls Wilder. Was it the Wild? Was that their last name? The Ing- Charles Ingalls the Ingalls family is that their name the, I think the, the so. family whatever you, everybody knows the family we're talking about uh, I remember reading about their Christmas times in those books and it was like they would get a pair of mittens
2: yeah and, and an, like an orange, orange. <laughs> right <laughs> and that was
1: amazing it was totally amazing for them. That was maybe we need to get back to that. And remind ourselves, you know, the 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 true reason for the season, as yeah. everybody talks about. It was about. the
2: angles, by the way. Yeah,
1: yeah, the Ingles. Yeah, a quick Google search there. I love that. The fact <laughs> check, uh, Emma, on the live chat, talking about this this uh, wh- what do you, what do you want to call it? Financial assistance, financial relief. Emma says it turns me off. Uh, one check is a band-aid. It doesn't address the systems that are leading to rising costs all around. Fair point, Emma. My counterpoint, if you and I were having a coffee, might be how much can the can a provincial government control with regards to bigger systems contributing to higher costs. Um, I've seen some people calling for a, a federal conversation on things like supply management. I don't know how my relatives in the dairy business would feel about that. As a matter of fact, I know exactly how they would feel about it,
3: but that thing, doesn't though, mean
1: that we wouldn't talk about
2: it. People talking about buying votes, I don't think it necessarily buys a vote. Like people took all the money during COVID and and still hated on Justin Trudeau. It's just mm. I think it's I don't know. I don't think it's really buying a vote. You're going to take the money regardless. No As matter a matter of fact, you're that's a great for. point. You I know mean? Made. Like, yeah. But I, mean, I get what she's trying to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the the supporters of of Danielle Smith will have one idea or one interpretation of what she's trying to do. And her detractors or her critics will have another idea of mm-hmm. what she's trying to do mm-hmm. uh, with it. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, if you think about it, effective opposition, uh, the politicking of an effective opposition can actually take a cash infusion and, and spin it in a way that makes the government look inept or irresponsible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in full-blown campaign mode, obviously, obviously, in Alberta, the UCP and the NDP right now. So we'll see how that plays out. Nick says, you know, 180 grand is a pretty high cutoff. Uh, for a family income, you know, what about the what about families or, or singles without kids? You know, Nick says many seniors don't need the help. Right, that's another interesting point. Emma follows up, says, "I'd love to have a coffee to discuss that." Jespo says, "I also recognize I have privilege that enables me to say that because my family doesn't live paycheck to paycheck." Fair enough. Alyssa, tuning in on our live chat on YouTube, says, "I don't even get Danny Bucks. Is that what they're calling him now, Danny Bucks?" We can come up (laughs) Danny Bucks. That's pretty good. That's kind of, yeah, okay. Until we see a better one. Danny Bucks, she says, being single with no kids uh, is basically being a leper in this province. So you're not seeing those benefits. That's a fair point from Alyssa. Tracy says, political scientists used to measure payouts in the final year of a mandate. And it worked for Alberta conservatives for... 40 plus years. I mean, of course, right? You look at all the announcements and and then there's that cutoff where they can't make the announcements anymore. But right before, typically right before the writ drops, right before an election's called, you'll see new highways, new schools, new hospitals announced. And sometimes they actually get built, but not all the time. And that's something, of course, that we keep an eye on. It's why it's important to have Conversations on platforms like this, and we appreciate your support. Charles Adler, in just a moment, today we are very excited to announce that we are opening registration this morning for the second annual Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. You go to RyanJesperson.com, you click on Events, and you look for Pond Hockey, and that's where you'll find it. We're thrilled to be returning to the beautiful city of St. Albert where we will endeavor to top last year's $50,000 raised for charities affiliated with our great friends at the Canadian Progress Club, St. Albert Chapter. You click on that beautiful Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic logo and it's going to take you to the page where you can register your team, you can sign up to volunteer, or, of course, if you want to be one of our sponsors on this magical day, Saturday, February 4th, That's exactly where you can get in touch with the team at the Canadian Progress Club and our team of organizers. It's the second annual Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic in support of the Canadian Progress Club and their affiliated charities. Saturday, February 4th. You can register today. Make sure you get your team entered before it sells out. There's just 32 spots available for teams of four or five skaters. Again, at RyanJesperson.com. Just click on events. Our friends at Friesen Brothers... We're so heartbroken to let you know today that the founder of Friesen Brothers, Frank Loveson, a dear friend of mine, a legend in the business community, has passed away on November 20th. You can read a tribute to this remarkable individual today. At Friesen.com, and we will be celebrating his legacy over the next number of days. Our thoughts are with the Loveson family and the greater Friesen brothers family at their 16 locations across the province of Alberta. We remember Frank Loveson, uh, an amazing human being and an amazing entrepreneur with a success story. Uh, that'll be tough to top. You look at what he's done since founding Friesen Brothers out of Hinton, Alberta, uh, more than 65 years ago. Our thoughts today with the Loveson family. Hey, speaking of family businesses, did you know that Park Power is a family-owned local utilities provider? Yeah, that's right. Family-owned, providing electricity, natural gas, and internet. We talk about the rising costs of living in particular through those winter months where our use of utilities rises well you could save money starting today by taking two minutes to compare what you're currently paying to what you could be paying with park power if you bundle your services like we did as a family you can save even more on administrative costs and don't forget the promo code 2022-realtalk is going to save you $70 off your first bill 2022 Real Talk. The promo goes to use at parkpower.ca. All right. Well, we look forward every Monday to a conversation with the Emmy Award winning talk radio legend, the RTDNA Lifetime Achievement Award winner, Charles Adler, who joins us live this morning from the beautiful province of Manitoba. Chuck, we're getting set to. Uh, stare at minus 30 degrees in the face here in uh, central and northern Alberta. How are things looking in, in the beautiful city of Winnipeg today?
5: Well, in the beautiful city of Winnipeg, it's not much different than the beautiful city of, of Edmonton. And sometimes those beautiful cities north of Edmonton uh, we are all braced uh, for winter. And I'm one of those who's uh, bracing right now because of all sorts of issues that I don't want to get into right now. I do not have, I'm not, I'm not trying to play the victim here, but um, I do not have indoor parking for the next little while. Ooh. Probably won't have indoor parking until February. So that's my number one challenge over the Christmas holidays is staying alive without indoor parking. And I realize that some people who never get indoor parking, but when you're living on the prairie, I don't know if i tell you, when you get used to indoor parking for years and years and years, uh-huh. it's, you know. It's tough. My uh, my
1: wife permitted me several years ago to transform our garage, our insulated garage, into a bar. And we call it the cabin <laughs> and it's where we throw darts and it's where we watch hockey and it's where yeah. we hang out, uh, without disrupting the family. And it's, it's weeks like these where I, uh, I wonder if I will have my, uh, my permit revoked, so to speak, as she so graciously parks her vehicle outside, uh, so we can socialize in the garage. These are the weeks where I start to get nervous. And, and to be quite honest, I hope she doesn't hear this. I wouldn't blame her if she pulled my permit.
5: Yeah, I think, um, uh- uh that that thing's getting yanked yeah. the permit's getting yanked yeah we're gonna have a cold we're gonna have a cold winter i'm not doing the, the whole farmer's almanac thing and like that and i don't pretend to be any sort of clairvoyant i just have this this vibe that this is going to be a a cold mother.
1: Yeah, this is what they've been saying. Hey, let me ask you. We we didn't uh, we didn't plan on talking about this. I want to ask you about the, the World Cup, uh, and, and I want to certainly ask you about what's going on in China right now and how you believe it stacks up or doesn't to what happened in Canada about a year ago uh, with the Freedom Convoy. But let me ask you about this announcement from Alberta Premier Danielle Smith. She's providing you know financial relief for Albertans, and they've announced some some subsidies, essentially some payouts to Alberta families. Uh, you know, six hundred bucks per kid under eighteen. We already laid it out. Some people are saying uh, it's it's much needed. Financial relief at this time others a little more cynical are saying well she's just trying to buy people's votes uh, with regards to politicians we've seen Ralph Klein do it Scott Moe was just doing it in Saskatchewan that would take an opportunity uh, either in in flush times with a surplus or in times of need that provide financial subsidies to people in a cash payout type format are you inherently pro or con are you for or against or or is it a situation to situation basis how, how do you perceive it
5: well for me everything is situation the situation—if you're pro, absolutely pro, or, or con, regardless—you uh, know, you're, you're an ideologue. And an ideologue to me is just—it's—it's it's idiotic. It's just an excuse uh, not to do any thinking. Um, I'm not the Danielle Smith's biggest fan, obviously. Anyone on, on my Twitter can can see that. But one person's version of buying votes is another person's version of doing their job. Uh, no entity in, in Alberta or any province has more capacity uh, to loan money or give money uh, in terms of uh, short term relief uh, than the government. Uh, one of the reasons that we have government, government does things that we cannot do for ourselves. And so Smith is doing this and one can argue about whether or not uh, the, the payment should be restricted to only those people who uh, can't afford. I mean, there's this controversy about how many seniors do have money. And if they've got, uh, if they're not living paycheck to paycheck and they've got a lot of money on on their, on their balance sheet, and you know why send them a subsidy? I, I get that, and I'm, you know, I ultimately be for limiting any kind of payment on anything uh, to those people who need it. But in in general, the idea of helping to tie people over, especially during the Christmas holidays, uh, I'm for that. No matter mm-hmm. who's in power, NDP, Conservatives, whatever, it, it, it's not, it's not about the party; it's about public service. And I think on this one, on balance. Smith is doing public
1: service. Yeah, I agree with you. And I and I think, you know, I mean, I, I'm kind of, to me, I, I I can't stand, you essentially just said the same thing. I can't stand when people say, well, like, the NDP did it, so it's it's idiotic, or the NDP did it, so it's brilliant, or Daniel Smith did it, so it's stupid, or Daniel Smith did it, so it's fantastic, right? Like, to me, I don't like to make decisions that way. I don't like to evaluate scenarios like that. I do agree through the holiday season, especially, like you said, costs get higher, the stress is up on people, and it's one that'll be a welcome measure people are making good points saying listen uh children's hospitals are being overwhelmed you know children are are, are in like tents outside ICUs because there's not enough room for them in the hospital beds or or schools are strained or or EAs you know education assistants haven't haven't seen raises or teachers or nurses or the money should be going there these billions of dollars we should be investing in this that and the other and that is a valid point to be made but at the same time big million or $1 billion cash infusions into healthcare, while necessary, while valuable, also don't help somebody put milk and bread on the table. You know what I mean? Like there needs to be the big picture stuff, and then sometimes there just needs to be the immediate relief for a family that's struggling to make ends meet right now. They got their thermostat set at 16 degrees because they can't afford to have the furnace firing at 21.
4: uh,
5: Over the years, I mean, I've done uh, lots of kind different kinds of radio and, and television, lots of lots of formats. But one of the things that uh, I remember has always been important to me is when I was doing my talk, my reporting, whatever the, the gig was, it was important to visit with real people. It, it, it wasn't enough for me to say that in the days before success, you know, when I was growing up, uh, we were living uh, paycheck to paycheck and I'll just go by my memory. Memories are interesting. But you, you, you've got to stay in real time if you're if you're really doing honest work. And I think if people were honest with themselves, those people who want to deny all these things for ideological reasons, if people were honest with themselves and spent time with people who do live paycheck to paycheck, that's not a cliche. That's a fear. The idea that you know, pop or mom might not have this gig after Friday, and it might mean that we only have baloney once a week. I don't I don't want to exaggerate this, but I think a lot of people end up going in the other direction. They minimize it. There are many people, even in the wealthy province of Alberta, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are living paycheck to paycheck. And so for them, it's not a cliche. And for them, it's absolutely irrelevant who's in charge. What's important is that somebody reach out to them. And the government, when the government reaches out The government is responsible for not just 32% of the people or 42% of the people, people who vote this way or that. The government is responsible for all the people. Mm. And I think, I'd I'd like to think, I mean, I, I could be wrong about this, but I'd like to think that there is consensus among a broad coalition of people in Alberta that in times of stress, the government needs to represent everybody and help as many people as possible. Yeah.
1: Did you watch the World Cup? Did you watch Croatia v. Canada yesterday morning? Uh,
5: I, I did not get to see it because I was in uh, in transit. I was uh, right. on an airplane. Right. Uh, but I, I heard about and I, I read the comments about the F uh, F Croatia business. Look, oh, man. Uh, I, let, let me just, you know, summarize really, really quickly on that. Sure. Um, every coach uh, uses that kind of language in the locker room. Every, every I've never been in. I've been in lots of locker rooms. Uh, various sports, mainly football, hockey, and baseball. And I've I've never met a coach who doesn't use the F word. I've never met a coach who hasn't said F the other team. Uh, in fact, I've never met a uh, I've never met a political leader uh, who hasn't said F uh, the other team. I'd be damn surprised if if Notley doesn't occasionally among her own troops talking about effing uh, the UCP, and I'd be damn surprised if 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 Smith that the UCP doesn't say you know F F the NDS. However, saying it publicly, uh, saying to a reporter, oh, yeah, here's what I told my guys. F Croatia is one of the stupidest damn things I've ever seen in my life for one simple reason. And it's not moral. Okay, this isn't Pastor Chuck here. Okay, preaching from the mount. This is simply as somebody who has covered competition, all kinds of competition all my life. The easiest way to hand your opponent, your competitor, a weapon is by saying to the media, F that particular opponent. That will rev them up like nothing else. And they were clearly revved.
1: Yeah. And, and not just F Croatia. We are going to F Croatia. Which yeah. Which makes yeah. it even
5: so. <laughs> which, I mean, which, of course, which, which you know, let, let, I, I hate to, I don't mean to diminish Canada, but we're basically lucky to be there, right? Uh and we're happy that we're in the World Cup. It's not something that happens all the time. Uh, so the, we're not exactly a World Cup power. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so for, 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 for a country that is not exactly World Cup power, uh, to be saying we are going to f Croatia, which, by the way, for people who don't know, Croatia has actually been seriously competitive. They were even in the, the final not long ago. So the, the you know I mean I compare most things to, to hockey. Uh, it, it is like for a tier three NHL club uh, to be saying F the uh, perennial Stanley Cup winner or at least the the, 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 the uh, a team that's in the in the you know the, the third tier or the the third sure. the round of the the Stanley Cups regularly. I mean for years I'm thinking about recently the you know the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, for someone to say F the uh, Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins would be a stupid thing to say, and I think everyone watching right now listening. Uh, who's an NHL fan, would say, yeah, that, that'd that be a dumb
1: thing. Yeah, it'd do. be like the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, we're going to F Colorado. Okay, yeah. yeah, we're going to yeah, F right. Colorado. Yeah, yeah, are yes, you
5: sure? Yes, yes. Are you
1: sure you're uh, going to? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think your comment's up on the bullet board. And then I'm watching this, so after he, he makes the comment, me and everybody else in Canada, I think, is is, uh, is taking a look at Croatia's. It's called 24 Sata. It means 24 hours. It's their tabloid. Yeah. They, run, they run this full-page picture, photoshopped, right. I'm assuming, uh, of a naked John Herdman, the Canadian manager, Canadian coach, right. uh, with With the maple leaf over his mouth and his privates, Uh, the headline translated reads, you have the mouth, but do you have the balls as well? And right. I'm sitting there going, what on earth is going on right now? It's like everybody else is, you know, the, the, the World Cup is like such a big deal. It's obviously, the, the it's arguably, some people would argue it's bigger than the Olympic Games. Uh, arguably the biggest wow. sporting event in the world. And uh, <laughs> you've got these two countries, these unlikely rivals, Canada and Croatia. It almost makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, with these, these this bizarre kind of back and forth that that served as a very strange distraction heading into it all. I just uh, you were the one person I was like I want to talk to Chuck about this one.
5: This thing. Well, you know, inter- they, they, you know that cartoon is is wonderful because the the coach turned himself and frankly Canada into a eunuch, which is not the idea. Not the idea. On idea. The eve of of the big game. No, you, you don't want to be a eunuch. You want to be a, a stallion. So, uh, you know, so so so, I I have no idea. I have no idea how it affected the actual game. My guess is it helped Croatia. How many goals was it worth? Impossible to tell. But the only reason I think it's worth talking about this is because for anyone who's coaching at any level, yeah, you know, do whatever it takes inside the locker room to, to, to rev the sluggers up. But do not tell the media. Do not use that kind of language. It will be used against you.
1: Yeah, I had a fascinating conversation. My mind is screaming at me. No go zone. Don't don't bring this up. No go zone, which leads me to believe uh, this is the type of program where I absolutely should bring it up. I was talking. I was talking to my cousins just the other day. My cousin, Jamie, she's telling me her her kids uh, sports team. uh, There was a mom who who to her own child referred to her own child uh, who was who was down and hurt. This mother referred to her own child. As, pardon language, as a pussy. Uh, yeah. she, she referred to the kid as a pussy because he was down and wouldn't get up. And people talk about get some balls, find some balls, right? Some courage, some strength, some balls. And my cousin Jamie, she says to me, anybody that's witnessed or participated in childbirth, uh, would understand that the pussy has got to be the strongest part of the human anatomy, and she says, "And what happens when a guy gets kicked in the balls? He goes down." She said, "The balls are the most vulnerable part of the human anatomy." Inarguably, we had this wonderful conversation about language and the weird interpretations of it, and probably the sexism or the misogyny that comes into play with that sort of a language. I thought, Jamie, I loved that conversation. You know, it was actually it was actually brilliant. I thought more people don't talk about this. It makes zero sense the metaphors that we use with regards to human anatomy
5: so i'm not a psychologist but i can say tell you this and any 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 guy who has been in the delivery room uh, it's impossible uh, to watch a woman uh in childbirth it's impossible to have pussy envy after that <laughs> so if ever if ever you've had that kind of people have all kinds of envy you know they just do but if ever you've had that kind of envy the way to cure it the way to heal yourself is to be comforting a woman or trying to comfort a woman who's giving birth. Uh, Just we can, we can, we can talk about all sorts of uh, competitions that are strength competitions. I am continually like in my life. When I think about that image blown away by how powerful, how strong, how brave courageous women are. And what I'll never understand because it's, it's irrational. Thank goodness. It's irrational. Otherwise uh, that we wouldn't have any human beings left on the planet the idea of a woman wanting to give birth again doing it again, experiencing it again i just that, that you know thank thank goodness that some of the some of the brain some of the thinking is irrational because i just if you know once again i can't put myself in because i i don't have the i don't have the equipment but but if i were going through that kind of agony i just i somehow in my rational mind I, that i would ever even consider going back
1: oh man i've been i've been blessed enough to be in the delivery room for the arrival of both of our sons and no. I, I would think like after watching my wife this warrior uh go through it i just like now i, I think if i hit my shin or stub my toe i'm not going to complain about it. i don't i've lost the right to complain about any pain physical pain moving forward for the rest of my life chuck and this um, is
5: by the way this is why i've never understood uh, guys who have this idea That you have to have a man in charge of uh, government or a man in charge of the fire department or the police service. Are you kidding me? I mean, the idea that that women are weak or that women are not courageous or that women don't make tough decisions. And most important, when it comes to childhood, uh, that that women cannot make the commitment and complete the commitment. uh, Please. I mean, that's just... Ridiculous. It is is basically, when, when you when you think that way, once again, ideologically, you're divorcing yourself from the real-life data. And real, you go to a maternity ward any day, that's where you will see the most courageous people on earth. And I want to just, A, salute people who are experiencing that, and B, all of the people, whether they're doctors, nurses, all of the people involved in hospital technology – helping us have one of the lowest death rates in the world. I'm talking about death rates in the most vulnerable particular position at at birth. At at one time, Canada was much like most other countries, uh, certainly when, when, when I was born. But now we are among the leaders. And the only reason we're leading is because our medical people are wonderful. And I always take every opportunity on this show to talk about our medical people because I've frankly, feel, not just in social media, but even out there on the streets of Canada. I think our medical people are under attack every day. Uh, we've got, uh, it seems, more flu than ever, more diseases uh, that are frightening the hell out of people, and and the idea of taking it out on the people involved in medical science to me is also more than just borderline irrational. So congratulations, and, and thank you, to everyone involved. In any ward, in any hospital, in this country.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, man, oh, man, I'm, th- I'm thinking of so many different. Uh, it's, 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 weird, isn't it? Like as a, as, as a, a host of a program, and sometimes you've got these, these in the moment decisions to make where something's uh, very personal, and you're trying to decide whether you're going to share it or not. And I don't think Carrie would mind. My wife would mind, but I think we've had some interesting complications with both pregnancies, in particular in the delivery room. And you, you, any, any mom or any parent uh, th- that's been through this can understand the stress that comes with maybe the the umbilical cord is wrapped around the baby's neck or the heart rate is down or there's something going on and um and we've been in those situations and your heart is in your throat because the stakes are so high obviously and then you watch this team uh go to work you know these these uh neonatal icu nurses and doctors and and the obgyns and everybody and it's just like uh, the, the the calm that they display and the 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 sort of the, the the what they bring to the table every single day. You you realize that these are remarkable circumstances, very stressful circumstances, most especially uh, for mom and for the people that are going through it. But these medical profi- this is like what they do every day. And I've walked out of that delivery room in particular uh, just in June of this year. I mean, when when little Noah was born, and I just I couldn't wrap my mind around how uh, in particular those nurses that were attending there and the obstetrician that was there how they simply carried out their task ensured that the baby was delivered healthy and stable and then just went on to the next call and i uh, I have no problem uh, admitting that I, I couldn't do it. I'm just not cut out for that line of work. I, that's not something I would take it home with me every day. I'm sure that they probably do as well, but they find ways to, to deal with it, ways to manage it. Um, I just, it it's, it's why I think that, that guys like me and, and probably you, and, and I would imagine the majority of this, this listening audience, will immediately jump to the defense of healthcare professionals when they're under attack. I think unless you walk a mile in their shoes, you just simply can't understand it.
5: I, I the, the attack on healthcare professionals makes no sense to me. You know, uh, the the phrase healthcare heroes is not a cliche to me. It ne- never will be. They are my heroes and they are literally saving lives every day and every single, I don't care what community you live in, a healthcare hero is saving someone's life. And while we're uh, saluting the heroes, let's also salute the people who inspire them and sometimes, yeah, push them, uh, the mothers and fathers who strongly, encourage their kids uh to get into various healthcare professionals uh, healthcare professions i think that you know many of them face all sorts of challenges uh, during their academic lives and if they weren't you know pushed and prodded and motivated a little bit that wouldn't happen look there's no way that i'm gonna have this conversation with my friend ryan Jesperson without asking you what did it do for you growing up to know that your dad dr jesperson yeah was saving lives
1: yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was particularly special for me was when I went to, I had, I, had, I had gone to like a private school from kindergarten to grade nine, right? And so it was, it didn't matter, you know, like in school, you know, you're, you're typically in the public system assigned to a school based on where you live. Uh, but that wasn't the case with this private school that I attended. So, so I, I was, we were out of district, so to speak. It wasn't until I went to high school uh, in the same part of town where my dad's office was, That I started to encounter a whole bunch of people that recognized the last name because he was their physician or he had been their physician for many years. Uh, In a lot of circumstances, he had delivered them and then, you know, and and had seen them all the way through to 16, 17, 18 years of age at the time. And, And that to me, hearing when people talk about your dad, uh, or your parents, and, and as a matter of fact, I, w- I was lucky enough to meet some uh, former students of my mom's as well. She was a teacher. Um, when, when people that you don't know, or people that you're just meeting, or are getting to know, uh, talk about the impact that your parents or that a family member of yours has had on their life, and you you, you just you kind of swell with pride. And I think as I was um, as I was growing into a man, um, the, the appreciation that I that I uh, inherited, the appreciation that that I realized of of what my dad was doing uh, was huge, and a lot of times people would share things with me privately to say, you know, your dad, you know, told me this once, or your dad did this for me once, or that I haven't told anybody this, but but this is what your dad did for me, and that to me uh, made me always very proud uh, to wear that badge, to wear to 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 rep that surname, and and it made me come correct a couple of times as well uh, at at times where Charles I risked disgracing the family name. Uh, it was it was always an a, an important reminder of the importance of preserving it for those that had gone before me. So nobly, you know.
5: Well, I, I tell you this. Uh, Sometimes we're, we're living in a time where the word uh, privilege is used all the time and it's probably overused. And there are people who uh, apologize, uh, you know, for their privileges. I would not want uh, young Ryan Jasper. I'll always think of his young Ryan Jasper because you're younger than me. But I, I, I just never want to see you apologizing for some of the privileges that were afforded to you by people who worked their asses off uh, and saved people's lives like, like your father. I know that it's, it's it's trendy these days to say, well, you know, I, I grew up with these privileges because my dad was, a, you know, sorry. Uh, no reason to apologize for that. They worked mm-hmm. for that privilege. They weren't handed it by some sort of a crown authority. They worked for it. Your dad must have spent 24-7, focused like a laser on his studies in order to become the doctor that he did. And I guarantee you, he never worked an eight-hour day. And I guarantee you that the people that he was involved with, I'm talking specifically about his patients, needed him in many cases, needed him desperately. I guarantee you that he's the difference between life and death. He ought to be nothing but an inspiration and never, never apologize for being the son of of Dr. Jaspers. Mm,
1: I never have and I never will and I'm going to make sure that he hears that too Charles, I really appreciate that uh, before uh, we say goodbye uh, and of course we'll talk to you again next week let me ask you about this, uh, I had some people tagging me on Twitter over the weekend I'm always happy when people put stuff in front of us they were doing it with, with, with cynicism uh, but at the same time I'm, I'm happy to oblige the conversation but what's happening in China right now I mean thousands and thousands of demonstrators and of course this is remarkable in a country like China with its political Leadership and the history there, I think everybody understands what I'm getting at. To see so many people out protesting these anti lockdown measures, people, they're anti lockdown protests, I should say. They're, they're sick and tired of it. They're sick and tired of the zero COVID policies, they're sick and tired of all the limitations that they've been facing. And I've got people demanding a conversation here on the show about how that is any different than the Freedom Convoy uh, that overtook Ottawa, that that occupied Ottawa for the the better part of a month uh, in February of of last year. I talked to Minister Randy Boasnow about it about a half an hour ago, and I was eager to talk to you about it as well. What's the difference between what's happening in China and what happened in Canada?
5: The difference is that a Chinese lockdown is not what people in Canada, whether they're in Alberta or Ontario or elsewhere, are calling a lockdown. Uh, When you're locked down in China, you're, you're a hostage. You're not allowed out of the building. And I mean that quite literally. There will be guards at the building preventing you from leaving. That is a lockdown. And some people have been locked down for months. And when people are locked down for months, frustration builds. And you have these demonstrations. How effective will they be? Impossible to say. There have been for various reasons, demonstrations in the past. In the history of China, and no matter who was in charge, they were always, always put down, and they were put down violently. So will this work? Fingers crossed. I hope it does. I want authoritarianism to decline and die everywhere. But am I, I am I optimistic that some of these demonstrations, anti-COVID demonstrations in, in China will result in the toppling of the government? Unfortunately and sadly, I, I don't think so. Mm.
1: You think back to Tiananmen Square which feels like you know I won't say yesterday it, fe- it feels like a short time ago it also feels like a lifetime ago depending on your perspective uh, but but you you, uh, you take a moment to, to really try to let it sink in uh, of the risks and, and, and we talked Uh, just last week as well about what's happening in Iran right now with these remarkable women and these schoolgirls and everybody else that's, they're they're removing their hijabs and burning them in the streets and, I mean, in in, in some parts of the world. I know I'm not offering anything profound here, uh, but I think it's important for us to have these reminders as well, the risks that people take in protesting. What about the Iranian men, the the, the football team, the soccer team at the World Cup refusing to sing the national anthem? I mean, like, people, maybe many people don't understand the the implications, the ramifications of that when they return home. I mean, they could be deadly serious. Uh, It really is remarkable
5: stuff. It is uh, deadly serious uh, for the people involved in that. It's deadly serious uh, for their relatives and for anyone who thinks that the Iranian uh, government would shrink from uh, killing scores of people, thousands of people if necessary to hold on to power. Uh, Sorry, uh, no no dice. Uh, They will kill as many people as they have to to hang on uh, to what they have and if watching what is going on in China, Iran and elsewhere, if that doesn't make you extremely proud to be and thankful to be a Canadian, I don't know what will. I, I realize that everyone you know involved in, in talk these days wants to de- define being Canadian and pr- proud to be Canadian as being proud of the particular prime minister. That is such rubbish. This is not an anti-Trudeau statement or a pro-Trudeau statement. But this country is so much larger than Justin Trudeau. And if Pierre Polyev was the prime minister, I'd say the same thing. This country is much larger than any premier or any prime minister. And if you identify with being a Canadian and are proud of being a Canadian, do not apologize based on who the particular premier or prime minister is. This country is much larger than that because this is a free country. Uh, contrary to what uh, some some you know political hustlers want to tell you this is one of the freest countries in the world this is not iran this is not china this is canada one of the most beautiful free countries in the history of civilization and i couldn't be more proud to be canadian and i'd like to think that 99 percent of people who are hearing this message feel the same way
1: charles adler every monday right here on real talk it's our honor thanks chuck thank you This comment from uh, Colette kind of stops me to take pause for a moment. She says, uh, and this is a mother's heart in our live chat. She says, I'm worried about my paramedic son. I can see the toll that it's taking in his face. You know, he's also a volunteer firefighter, and it's getting harder to find volunteers, and so he's doing so many of the calls. Uh, That from Colette, that horrific story last week. Did you see that story of the Alberta paramedic who responded To a to a fatality, a motor vehicle accident. Did not realize that she was working on her Mm -hmm. daughter. Yeah, she returned home from the horrific call. She's washing up. She's you know ostensibly trying to, I would imagine, leave work at you know at the door and and clear her mind. I won't speak on her behalf, obviously, but you come home from work from a call like that. And then the police show up at her door to notify her. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't even... I heard that. I just... My heart just... I I can't quite find the words for something like that. But the stress that these paramedics are under... I mean, hers, that story uh, is is one of the most tragic I've ever heard in my
2: life. Well, we've Uh, never talked about it, but it happened to my mother as well. What? You know, my younger brother died. I told you about that. And he was hit in a car accident. And she was racing to the scene. And she came up on it and... It happened to be the oh, accident, Johnny. yeah, so and uh she did the same thing, tried to resuscitate him, took him into the she's she's not a paramedic, she's a nurse, but you know still knows cPR still knows all those things, so she yeah. knew she knew it was she him? she was racing to the scene, she heard yeah. there'd been an accident, and she didn't know this was the accident, but she still you know slowed down, looked looked Cause she always does when yeah, there's, sure of course when there's uh difficulties and and danger and stuff, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, re- it was really hard. It was really hard for her to do that. And for a long time, she couldn't talk about it with me. She didn't want to talk about what actually happened. But yeah, uh, paramedics, nurses, uh, the things my mom has told me that she went through in the, in the early and late 80s being a nurse uh, with all, all the developments we have today, just they go through daily stress that is unimaginable. And I look at her every day and I say, I don't know how you did that for 35, 40 years. I don't know how you did it without crumbling. I don't know how you did it and raised a family at the same time. So I I agree with Charles 100%. They are the strongest mentally, emotionally people we have. And it's horrible when we take our frustrations out of them. That's why during COVID, I was like, what is happening to humanity right now that we have turned on these people who have yeah th- their whole job is just to help
1: thanks for sharing that man i uh I, i'm still that's still kind of hitting me but
2: um, we we talked about it before but we yeah we didn't talk air. about that part yeah. of it but yeah yeah thank
1: you for sharing that i no appreciate problem. that no that's problem. a that's a major
2: thing it, it was something that took a long time for me to kind of deal with as well and i didn't obviously didn't want to ask my mother about it like hey tell me every moment of this incredibly traumatic experience that you also
1: kind of want to know right because I did later
2: years later I I asked her about you know what did he say what things happened but like even in her face like you can see obviously when it's your son how much it hurts but this happens to nurses doctors every day like they absorb this stress they absorb all these feelings all day so Mm. yeah a hundred percent agree with Charles that (laughs) <laughs> they they should be off limits yeah for attacks i don't know
1: if you're looking at the live chat right now but the real talk nation is uh has got your back right now brother uh people are just talking about how much love they have for you and, and and thanks for sharing kimberly says my mom was an er nurse an er rn for 50 years and she has a very nice. dark sense of humor uh lorne <laughs> who is a fire chief uh by the way if you subscribe to our real talk sunday message which is our free email that goes out every sunday you can subscribe mm-hmm. to it you just scroll down to the bottom of our main page at ryanjesperson.com. Uh, you will have seen lorne in last night's email Uh, He's repping his Real Talk snapback cap at an Oilers game. And so we thought we needed to get Lauren into the Sunday email. But Lauren served the Edmonton Fire Department for decades. He says dark humor is important. It's the same with, uh, and I'm not comparing... Uh, journalism or reporting with with first response, it's it's very different. Um, first responders are in there. I mean, they're right there. You mm-hmm. know, CPR and the and holding hands, and, and and people are losing their lives with them. And I mean, it's just I can't even wrap my mind around it. My the level of respect I have for them is is off the charts. Um, but same with journalists, you know, especially those that are covered that cover war zones, especially those that cover spot news, uh, those that cover th- like like uh, trials, like really difficult trials, child sex abuse, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, dark humor is a big part of it. Yeah. Like not on the scene, but, but to allow people to try to create some, there's gotta be a a psychological explanation for what it does, Mm -hmm. but it allows you to kind of create a bit of a buffer zone, like to to sort of blow off a little bit. Right. To sort of like, like, like a blow off valve that Mm -hmm. allows you just to release some of that pressure. Um, man, there's a lot of people right now that are showing you love on the live chat. <laughs> that means a lot.
2: Doesn't it feel like a family, this, it de- this audience? It does. It's very nice. Yeah, yeah thank man. you. Thank you, Real Talkers. Well, thank
1: you for sharing, Johnny. That's that's really, really incredible. Um, man, it feels kind of tacky to breeze into to ad reads right now. But it's okay. You we, know what? We're, we
2: When we first, when I went to apply for this job, we went out for a lunch, and I we told did. you that it we, was a special we unloaded with this story and stories about your family and kind of got all our we did. big things out on the table that's but, uh, when we
1: knew we'd be a good team <laughs> hey i remember that i'll never forget that lunch because we knew each other for like 10 years yeah but we, we didn't, didn't really know, like know each other or, yeah, yeah we just knew who yeah. we are publicly yeah we knew the brands but yeah. we didn't know the boys behind the brands <laughs> and now we do uh hey also in the live chat i saw painter lee where uh, you know chuck's talking about no underground parking or no sheltered parking and i'm talking about turning my garage into a bar and Painter Lee says, well, I drive a Jeep um, and uh, I never plug it in and it always starts. It just fires right up, so drive a Jeep. And uh, Painter Lee, I totally agree. And if you're looking to get your hands on a Jeep right now, America's most trusted brand of SUV, North America's best-selling brand of SUV in history, you won't find a better selection of Jeeps plus Ram trucks, and, of course, the entire Chrysler lineup than you will at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. If you visit them online, stalbertdodge.com, sherwooddodge.com, you can chat with a member of their sales team directly online, shop from the comfort of your own home, or, of course, you can go see them in their beautiful dealerships, a brand new dealership in St. Albert. Really remarkable stuff. Of course, you can find more about their service and parts department, even get pre-approved for financing online today with Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Our friends at Local Environmental want to remind you there's nothing better than keeping it local when it comes to the way that your company does business, whether you're a A small retailer, perhaps you're a restaurateur, or maybe you're one of those big hoteliers. Maybe you're overseeing the business at a shopping mall. You know, Local Environmental Services handles all of the waste management, waste removal and recycling for West Edmonton Mall. I mean, they can do the small stuff, they can do the big stuff. In Alberta and Saskatchewan, they believe that communities deserve better. To find out what that means, what that looks like, you can check out the Who is Local link today, meet membership, uh, their their team, their executive leadership, and of course, the boots on the ground as well at localenvironmental.ca. At Eden Landscaping, this is the time of year where they're getting out their pens and paper. They're getting out their drafting pencils. They're starting to draw up the designs so that they can start bringing outdoor spaces to life the minute the ground thaws this spring. Now, a lot of times the perfect landscape design is gonna take time. You wanna take a look at the first draft, the second draft, you wanna make sure you can get your hands on the perfect construction materials with the way that the supply chain's going these days. Sometimes there are delays. It makes the most sense. If you wanna have your yard transformed by next summer, to get in touch with Mike and his team today at landscapeedmonton.ca. That's our friends at Eden Landscaping and at apex automation they're putting out the call to canada's most talented engineers that's right professional engineers from across the country are looking to apex automation for new career opportunities to give people back their time well what does that mean well it means automation and servicing and pipelines across western canada chemical manufacturing plants in bc and saskatchewan here in alberta as well potash mining robotics material handling like conveyor belts and overhead cranes and i always like to mention the work they're doing for breweries as well if you're feeling stagnant if you're feeling like your opportunities have dried up and you're a png looking for a change of pace you want to feel valued and appreciated check out apexautomation.ca today the careers link could be your best step you ever make Well, every Monday, we wrap up our show thanks to our wonderful friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca with a look at the brighter side of life. These are the encouraging stories. These are the stories that reaffirm our faith in humanity. It's positive reflections presented by Kubi Energy. And today we want to introduce you to author Brad Aronson. Now, Brad and his family were going through one of the most difficult times of their entire lives. His wife, Mia, was in the middle of two and a half years of treatment for leukemia when a patient advocate suggested that Mia, Brad, and their five-year-old son, Jack, create a project to provide purpose, a distraction, a focus for the hours that they were spending in the hospital every week. So that's when Brad started writing about small acts of kindness by friends and strangers that were carrying his family through Mia's treatment and recovery. Well, it's resulted in a new book called humankind. And in the pages of this new book, you'll meet Rita Chavone, who decided to cook an extra portion of dinner every night to feed somebody in need that led to a movement now providing more than a half a million meals a year. You'll meet Larry Stewart, who is homeless when he received a $20 gift that inspired him to become a secret Santa who went on to give a total of $1.5 million to strangers setting up their own communities as secret Santas. There's even a story of six-year-old Gabriel whose simple request started a global kindness movement. The book is called Humankind. The goal is to inspire you to see the good in the world and to join in. Every chapter concludes with a what we can do section. It contains practical opportunities, how we can all help regardless of where we live. And of course, at the end of the book, there's a hall of fame. With a vetted list of nonprofits that can guide you to easily channel your energies for good. Now, they've just released the book, and sales have already resulted in $100,000 that are going to the nonprofit Big Brothers Big Sisters. You can order your copy of the book today. What a perfect gift. If, if you're a secret Santa in the workplace, what a perfect gift to put under the tree to remind people of the good that is out there. Simply Google humankind the book by brad aronson it's in the spotlight for this week's positive reflections we can't think of a better focus a month away from christmas kubieenergy.ca is where you can get your free solar quote and of course we'll have more to tell you about what's going on with that canada greener homes grant a little bit later on this week This week's a big one here on the show, including a legendary award-winning journalist joining us tomorrow, Anna Maria Tremonti. She's gonna share her own powerful story and some of the work that she's been doing looking around the world at the root of mass violence. We're also gonna talk to an ex-mobster turned author described at one time as one of the most dangerous criminals in the UK. What led to his career turnaround? That's all coming up on the Tuesday edition of Real Talk. Thanks for joining us on this Monday. We'll see you soon.
0: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Kandola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.